0: Now, I'm recording this intro on the 22nd of November 2020, so we are, in essence, 10 or 11 days away from lockdown finishing in England and there does seem to be a hint of a vibe that hospitality will in the main be reopening something that has surprised me a little bit because I thought we might still be left closed but the caveat to that is the unknown on tiers it looks like tier one is going to go back to the rule of six tier two is going to be no mixing of households indoors and tier three is going to be hospitality closed. And tiers 1 and 2 still seem to have the ridiculous and pointless curfew in place, although there are a few rumours that it may be switched to last orders by 10pm rather than out of the premises by 10pm, which would be a positive start. And the opportunity for taking advantage of some Christmas trade is certainly encouraging how the supply sector is going to instantly ramp up next week and restock the industry, is going to be challenging. And I'm sure there are warehouses full of Christmas crackers and fields full of nervous turkeys and nervous farmers, I am sure. But clearly, getting a bit more notice than we normally do will be very helpful in getting ready to reopen. Anyway, this comes up a little bit in today's conversation where we are off to Scotland and right to the very northwest of Scotland, to the Torridon where we are having an awesome chat with Dan Rose Bristow. Now, although we've been to Shanghai in the podcast and we've zipped around England a great deal, it was lovely to finally get so far north and get a bit more of an understanding of what is going on in Scotland. The constantly changing rules and regs have kept Dan on his toes and he's actually currently allowed to trade, albeit with England and international travel closed, his market is ever shrinking. Now some of you may be aware of the Torridon since they recently featured in an hour-long documentary as part of the BBC's Amazing Hotels series. Monica Galetti and Giles Corran spent some time working with Dan and his team and the show is really well worth a watch. And what Dan and his wife Roheys and the team have created in the Torridon is awesome. So remote with the challenges of staffing and weather and access and much more, yet they have an incredible reputation, and many people have suggested that I have a catch-up with Dan on the podcast. As Treasurer of the Master Innholders, Chairman of Pride of Britain Hotels, and Director of Luxury Scotland Consortium, Dan's also got a pretty broad perspective and some great nuggets of wisdom for all in hospitality. Not bad for a city trader with no desire to work anywhere near hospitality when he first set off in his career. Now Dan and I touch on thinking outside the box when it comes to recruiting and retaining staff in such remote locations, sustainability and kitchen gardens, diversifying styles of accommodation, rapidly switching target markets, the visit from the BBC team and the subsequent incredible exposure, as well as setting up an outdoor pursuits business in a beautiful and remote part of the countryside. I love chatting with Dan and have a huge amount of respect for his business acumen and generally just being a great example of another awesome human of hospitality. As so many of us do, Dan is working in the industry for the right reasons. Yes, absolutely a good businessman. But more than that, a good human with a desire to serve not only his guests, but the industry at large, whilst developing a team that can go off out into the broader world of hospitality. I thoroughly recommend you take a look at a photo of the hotel before we start, since it will really set the scene of their incredible location. You can find a nice shot on the Torodon's website itself, of course, or head over to humansofhospitality.co.uk. Type Dan in the search bar on the top right and you will find the show notes and a picture of Dan and the hotel. And whilst you are there, you might want to sign up for my weekly newsletter. Every Monday morning, I will send you a very short email that details who that week's guest is and has the links to any websites or social media that we chat about during the show in one handy place. I don't share your details and you will only hear from me once a week. The sign-up form is at the bottom of the homepage. And whilst you are there on the website, if you listen regularly to the podcast and can support it in some way financially, that would be hugely appreciated. There is a Patreon button for regular donations and a PayPal button for more sporadic donations. All support helps with the editing kit, travelling time and more in keeping this weekly conversation on the air. Donations start at the Fiverr, so for just a couple of cups of coffee, you get a weekly podcast and a great deal of my love and appreciation. Okay, that's enough of me. Let's get over and meet Dan. Enjoy the chat. Dan Rose Bristow, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. You are the owner and MD at the Torridon, and, and in the UK, we're probably about as far apart as the two of us can be, I suppose. So can you just explain, where are you, Dan?
1: Yeah. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on. We, um, we're we located, what, about an hour and a half west of Inverness. So uh, on the northwest coast of Scotland, up in the Highlands, about sort of the same sort of uh, line as, as the Isle of Skye. Um, and four to four and a half hours north of Edinburgh and Glasgow, so a long way north. Um, yeah. And yeah, a long way from where you are.
0: You certainly are. I think I looked it up because um, when I saw the 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 picture, there's a particular sort of shot. I, think, I presume it was taken from a drone or something of your premises that that shows the sort of the sea in the background and the mountains, and it, and it literally is breathtaking. It almost uh, makes me cry when I see it. So I really wanted to come and see you, but you were something like a twelve-hour drive, and I don't think um, I don't think Boris would be very impressed if I uh, if I, I if I drove that far. It's probably not essential, but yes, you are a long way away, but it does look utterly stunning.
1: Yeah, I mean it's. Oh, location is everything for us. Um, you've got mountains opposite that rise to over three and a half thousand feet, so Munros in Scottish language, um, and we're on a sea lock. So the uh, as you go out of the sea lock a few miles, next stop is the Isle of Skye, and then beyond that, is the, you know, you're in the Atlantic and away to the US of A. So um, location is is our biggest USP. I imagine in terms of its wilderness location, but in a nature reserve, in terms of Torridon Nature Reserve and Ben A. Uh, reserve um, and we're part of a sort of a, a unesco biosphere so nature landscape scenery it's one of the main reasons people come to us
0: yeah no incredible and and, and what what's sort of incredible about that i guess is is sort of what you've pulled off and the reputation you have i think you're the, the, the uk's most northerly five-star hotel i think i read but you know it would be hard enough i think and, and we're also going to chat through all the different things you do and, and the awards you've had and all sorts of stuff but hard to do that in Surrey, but to pull it off where you are, I can imagine there's some some utter blessings with with that location. But I imagine there there must be some real challenges as well. Can you can you just talk through? I suppose yeah. What what are the key couple of pros and a key couple of cons before we uh, before we start our chat?
1: I, I, the the real pros, I think, are our location and and it's it's on people's bucket list in terms of where to come. And once they've, as you say, you've seen what it looks like. It's pretty idyllic and, and and people sense get a sense of a getaway vacation. Um, and we're very much a destination. You know, you don't just happen to pass the front door. Um, we're very much a destination that tries to offer a resort feel these days uh, with a variety of different accommodation offerings and a couple of restaurants and bars and, and, I suppose, outdoor activities. I guess the flip side of that is while the remoteness is a real pull for, Customers and guests to come see us. It can be difficult to attract staff, um, uh, and rural rural Britain, you know, suffers a lot of problems in terms of available housing. So we've had to build a lot of on-site accommodation for the team to look after them. I mean, we will probably to give you an idea. We have up in the summer probably fifty-five staff, of which forty-five live in. So we 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 actually have a larger village community here in you know, on this side of the lock than uh, the closest village. Um, which is predominantly uh, holiday homes and, and self-catering. Um, so, yeah, I suppose attracting the staff is, is probably the biggest issue. Once you get them here and they're into the culture and the way of life that we do, then we, we don't have such a problem. But the attraction is, 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 you know, if you're into your cinema and coffee shops, then Torreden's not going to be it if that's what you want to work. But if you're looking for, a, you know, a, if you're into the outdoors and and, and want to earn some money and, and, and save up, then it's ideal for you. So, um the location yeah that's it really it's both you know an attraction for guests but the downside is probably staff in terms of the lifestyle but it's become more of an attraction we've actually found it easier i think just with people and what they're looking for in terms of staff and the type of career they're looking for
0: Mm. Well, I feel like I know it a little bit better because you were on uh the BBC show, weren't you, uh this summer. Yeah. Amazing hotel. So so I got to see uh some of those team, even got to see the the staff accommodation. In fact, by the time I'd watched that show, Dan, I, I wanted to come and apply for a job it just looked lovely um so if you don't mind we'll have a little bit of a chat about that because it, it really was an incredible spotlight on, on on your business and particularly the team i suppose around you and the diversification of what you've done um how did that opportunity come about and were, and were you sort of nervous i suppose about it uh, in the first instance
1: Right place right time no other we were just lucky um the uh location finder for the show was Scottish the program had relocated from London to BBC Scotland um, and they were looking for a UK property and the girl Emily that was doing the location finding um, had been our way before and she had three or four locations on our hit list and she came and interviewed us, chatted about the show and then wanted to find out about our story and the characters I guess that we have here um, <clears throat> to make it uh, an interesting TV program. You needed some characters, and I guess we ticked all the boxes, and, and we impressed them, and, and they were uh, keen to go ahead. So they came in uh, October twenty uh, nineteen. sorry twenty nineteen, and um, we're here for about three to four weeks. The, the three girls filming, very um, subtly filming, uh, non obtrusive, and and then Monica uh, Galetti and Giles uh, Corran came for three or four days each crossing over a little bit for a day or so um, and um, film the show. And uh, it, it, it was a massive opportunity and, and um, great for us. Um, and I think what was most pleasing was the feedback that we received was that actually we came across really well as a business and the, the team, I was really proud of the way the team came across and portrayed themselves. And actually some of them have been here two, three, four years. And we were able to get the spotlight on what they've been doing really well. So people like Tom in the Garden or Shane our barman um, and Rosie our apprentice, they they all really shone brilliantly. And that was what was, I suppose, I was very proud of. Um, and those customers have been coming for years. You know, we're able to say that that they really filmed it well and and really got what we're about, which is which is all we can ask. I think the reservations were other TV shows have occurred in the past and they're a little bit fly on the wall and they show quite a few sort of, uh, bad and joking sides. And we were a bit conscious of not coming across that way or wanting to be part of something like that. And, and I think having seen some of the the previous episodes abroad, which were mostly, well, we're all internationals. we were the first UK one. Um, there was one, uh, one in Ireland that was down, um, Ashford castle, but, um, we were reassured and then the three girls came to film and and clearly they had our back and and that and then once we knew they had our back and the way they were doing it everyone here really relaxed and i think that just for them as they said it just made such a better experience for everybody um so yeah a great great experience
0: yeah amazing and and you're right these things all too often i guess you know thousands of moving parts in a hotel so so inevitably things do go wrong i remember uh, you know when i was on the cold face managing my hotel i'd always you know i'd know someone was going to go wrong every day and i was always pretty excited if it was quite early in the day because i'd be like great that's it that's that's yeah. the thing it's that's going to go wrong if we can get it done by half nine i can sort of crack on with the day and and normally tv shows love the drama of it I, the thing that i think i liked about it the most is actually really the only mistake that that was made was by giles when he was trying to serve people and and, and since he can be um, what should we say a divisive at time, it was lovely yeah. to see him the other side uh, of the experience. Did that make you smile?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it did. I mean, he clearly has to play a bit of a joker role within the show. Uh, he's, there's always elements of uh, things and jobs that he has to do that, that 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 makes him look a little bit silly. But I mean, whether it's you know, in our case, it was changing a toilet seat or washing the car or trying to serve someone in the restaurant, you know, something out with his comfort zone. But um, it just made him human, I guess. As a presenter, he comes across uh, much easier to the eye and, and able to watch, and a bit more humble. So, it, again, it makes for better TV. Um, yeah, definitely. Humility think, is the I, word. You know, I think I think the thing that sometimes people forget in terms of the TV show and some of our customers that have been here since and whatever is, we have as a fan, we've been doing this for thirty years this wasn't in the making for three months. It's taken 30 years to get to where we are. And and, uh, and, and I, I think the rewarding thing for us was that we were able to showcase that journey a little bit. Um, and it, it was really rewarding to see how far we'd come. Um, and, and even some of the team working here now had no idea what the place looked like, you know, 25 years ago. we um, mm-hmm. were amazed themselves. So it was quite a, uh, uh, a journey for everybody, really, to see how far we'd come.
0: Yeah, well, let's touch on that then. So, 1992, I think your in-laws purchased it. Is that right? That's and right. Now, yeah, what, David, Joe, like? and Gregory. Yeah.
1: Um, so,
0: what, what was it like at that time?
1: Uh, kitchen was condemned. No central heating. No, all the wiring was uh, was kaput. Um, so uh, they traded it, I think, in '92 for about six months. Summer season turned up. It was a sort of a. Uh, A coaching fishing holiday type of place you 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 turn up by coach small coaches and stay and um, my father my mother was a cordon bleu chef trained so she was an excellent chef and still is Uh, and David my father-in-law was um, front of house and everything else really Um, and he spent most of his time running around putting coal into fireplaces trying to keep the place warm for customers Um, and uh, and they traded it for six months in a way they would never dreamed of wanting to trade it. It was horrendous for them, but they had the foresight, a or the foresight, maybe the madness, to buy the place uh, back in the day uh, because they were looking for this idyllic country house location with a great setting to turn it into something that they had realized could be done. <clears throat> um, and uh, they closed it for about, uh, about a year, nine months, to totally refurbish the place, new plumbing, new wiring, uh many of the bedrooms for example weren't on suite became on suite um and the house was originally a shooting lodge back in 1887 so there were four main bedrooms the hotel was made a hotel and turned into a hotel in the sort of late 60s early 70s um when they created the road from here to shielding um and it was traded as a fishing hotel but but you can imagine i mean it was sort of uh wicker furniture in the drawing room uh had all the plastic sheets on, and you, you, you can imagine the type of place it might have been. Um, but they had a vision; they had a dream that they could turn it into something uh, that it is uh, that it is today. And, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how far they thought they'd take it. I mean, I, I hope I would like to think that we've pushed the envelope a little bit further than than they even thought they could go. Um, I mean, they retired from here back in 2007, um, and uh, I think that they're very proud of what we've achieved as a family and, and, and Raheus and I since. Cause Raheus and I, my wife and I, we work very much in the business 50-50 and um, the success of that relationship is probably down to the fact that we do things very differently in terms of our, our responsibilities. So Raheus is very much in terms of HR and training, um, people development and design. Uh, And I tend to do the other things, uh, the business side of things. Um, And then we hire good people to do things like food, uh, food and beverage and, you know, chefs that that know what they're doing. So it's bringing in a team that complements each other to run the place. Yeah, um, amazing. But well, clearly, they thought they would go, but you know, it'd be probably yeah. a good question for me to ask them how far they thought we would have come.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and you guys got involved relatively early. So, am I right in saying? And I, I think I can't remember this from what I was reading, or maybe it was on the, the BBC show that I saw. But in those early days, you, when they first got it, you know, you had no inclination. You didn't come from a hospitality background, and you, you certainly weren't looking at getting involved. However, it wasn't particularly long, was it? Was it Was it ninety seven that you, that you guys came up? 90, what happened in those five years 99. when you went?
1: Yeah, we were ninety nine. Uh, I was a bond trader in the city um, very different uh, role and and probably a very different character and we got married in we we met at university back in 91 so we've been with each other for a while living in London we met in Leeds at uni and I went to London where I'm from originally and um, Rose was working in hospitality doing sort of um, uh, conference organising and working for ICI at that time and they they had an in-house unit um, that they did all their training in and um we got married sort of 25 26 quite early quite young and had aspirations for a family but i think we were in that stage where we were living in uh in london and and uh, aspired to a bit more than a london life and raising a family in london so you look around and you realize if if i if we're going to do that then i probably have to change career and and i suppose rohi's at the time could have could have done anything uh, hospitality skills could be taken anywhere else but you can't really trade bonds unless you're in the city so we were looking for options and, and we decided to get married and we were looking to start a family and, and in 98 my in-laws won um, uh, AA Hotel of the Year uh, for Scotland and um, their managers left in that winter and uh, they were looking for new people to come in and run it and they I guess, floated intelligently, floated an idea our way that, that pricked our interest um, and wondered jokingly whether we would be interested. Um, and I think we previously said that I would never live in Torridon, not in a million years. And Rahesa said she would never work in a hotel, having grown up in hotels. <clears throat> so, ironically, in a very short space of time, we found ourselves here um, <laughs> in March 99. Um, and I think, I think. We were young enough without kids to say, do you know what? Give it a go. Give it two years. Uh, If it works out, great. We can stay. Uh, And there's the sort of uh, carrot of being able to take on the business, take it over. uh, And I suppose in my my case, it was both our cases. But for mine it was to be sort of entrepreneurial in what we wanted to do with the business. And for the both of us it was what we could do with the product and where we could take it. What was our our dream. And, um, in those two years, well, I did every job, uh, I, I ran the pub for a while that we had here. Uh, we, I worked in housekeeping. I did everything because, um, we always joke. The first job I did here when I was actually uh, going out with Rahe's in the early days was kitchen porter. So, uh, I, I've, I've cleaned toilets. I've washed dishes. Uh, I've even worked in the kitchen. Um, and I've served the food and you name it. So I do know what the jobs involved. And for me, that was a great training. And getting into the industry as I hadn't sort of grown up in it or been been to study it type thing. Um, and um, that that just meant that the the, uh, the, the 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 opportunity that was offered to us by my in-laws was too good to turn down and not give a go. Um, and, and yeah, we're still here. So uh, it must have worked out some way. Um, I think people thought we were we were the first of our crew, our friends, to sort of move out of London. And, and get married and do different things, um, but clearly, I mean, you look back now. Within five years, everybody did the same thing in some capacity. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as far as <laughs> Torridon, but well, then but then certainly geography yeah, moved out of London, and, and then some ended up doing different jobs. So it's, it seemed to be what a lot of us were doing. Um, yeah. We kept the house, the flat, I say, in London in case, um, and then sold it later on when we built our own house where we are now. So we, we had a we had an exit plan if it didn't work out. Uh, hmm. but, but but yeah, still here. It
0: certainly it certainly did. Was it was it was it a close decision where it was almost fifty fifty, and this could have been a very different sliding doors moment, or actually was it was it fairly quickly like you know that makes that makes perfect sense. Let's do it.
1: I I think it was pretty. It was me that drove it. Ironically, I don't. I didn't think people thought it would be. Uh, <clears throat> I think I just wanted out of of the city life, and I couldn't see myself there. Fifteen years later, being forty on a trading floor, um, <clears throat> and. It's not a particularly nice place uh, to be, like, to my experience anyway. Um, pretty much a young man's game, um, and it was therefore what was I going to do, uh, and how was I going to support my family? Um, well, without another business opportunity, it was going to be difficult. And actually, quite a few people leave left the city at that time and have bought pubs or restaurants and stuff, and were doing hospitality, but maybe not on the sort of on the shop floor, but more as an investment. Um, but we were we were interested in doing something, and and. I think we had we 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 always felt that if if it didn't work out we could go back give it 2 years we could go back and we could pick up where we left off it wouldn't be a problem um so there was that security if you know what I mean um, Absolutely. and the two years weren't easy learning
0: no well i was just about to say surely uh particularly coming from that sort of city background i suppose because people who've who've worked in hospitality and and, and if you said rohe's re- remembered it as a kid you know it's a hard graft it's 24 7 when when you first went in and you find yourself a kitchen porter or cleaning toilets considering your previous job did you think you yeah, know this this is great i love this opportunity or were there times when you thought
1: man what have i done uh, there were definitely times i thought man what have i done um but but you you just focus on the goal. You know, we had an aspiration to take on the business. Um, And the sooner we did everything and learnt everything and understood everything, then the quicker we could start that journey. Uh, And I think that was, we had a very much a common driven goal to achieve greater things, Uh, which was tough. You know, know, in 98, they just won AA Hotel of the Year. So it was starting from a high point in the first place um and and david and geraldine had achieved so much in their time but you know we were a three star hotel uh we just developed the sort of what we called then the lodges come in uh and and we we had a vision of a five star hotel a resort feel and developing things and we knew what we wanted to do we wanted to raise the food uh, we wanted to Increase the, the the capacity of the kitchen garden. We wanted to add outdoor activities and, and all these things. I think were there bubbling away, but we you know we were very conscious of not having. We had we had to um, organically do it because any anything any money that we had or any borrowings we were going to do was to be put into the business to buy our share. So that left little room, if you like, for borrowing money for investment in the early days. So it was very much about. <clears throat> How profitable we can make things, to then take the next step, and how could we get the rack rate from from 150, 200 pound a night up to you know 350, 400 pound a night, and and grow what we want to do, maintain or improve service levels and the offering that we had. And I think we were just solely driven in those early days. No kids, you're you're 24/7. Uh, You didn't really take time off because you were enjoying what you were doing. And it was a steep learning curve. And actually it was quite fun on that steep learning curve because you felt you were really going somewhere. Um, I think the more tricky thing was trying to uh, uh, navigate the journey with my in-laws who, who ultimately had similar goals, but of course an age difference and and generation, they have different ways of doing it and navigating that was quite difficult, um, especially with, uh, Rohes and her father David who quite fiery characters, uh, quite similar in many ways so you know family politics was at play and, and we ultimately all had the same goal but we wanted to do it different ways and and that was probably the more tricky thing at the time uh, but we were always supported in those early days and, and they gave everything to teach us what we know now and, and beyond and and certainly my you know I'd, I did a lot of accountancy when I was in the city and, and, and sort of financial training and, and that was that really put me in a good place to, to focus and run the business. And I think that gave security to my father-in-law that I understood the numbers and I knew what to do, which was his side of the business. And therefore reassurance that I could take it on and not screw it up, if you know what I mean. Um, and, and, and that was critical certainly as a, as a son-in-law coming into a business. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, and, and they did retire and, and we did take it on and, and, and yeah, we're here today
0: yeah and it's gone all right when you look back are there some sort of pivotal sort of key moments or transformations i suppose that that you've done that took it from sort of what it was to what it is now um
1: we we uh, you have to take gambles at certain times to prove what you want to do And, and 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 you know we've gone from a to go from a, a three-star hotel to a four-star hotel to a five-star hotel, you have to go on this journey. You, you, and, I mean, clearly some people with big, uh, deep pockets can, can invest and provide the facilities. Uh, and you see it even now today, people put in four and five-star hotels with all the facilities, yet the hospitality to back it up is not there. And if it is, it's quite superficial. Uh, and we were really, really interested in being very organic and authentic in the hospitality that we provided. And I think it, 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 it was it, the key points of when we effectively, for us in recent years, went from from a four star hotel to a five star hotel. We'd negotiated for a long time about, with various Visit Scotland or AA, for example, about what a five star hotel could be or could they, the standards needed to change to the type of uh, designation that we were. We weren't a, a city centre 200 bedroom hotel that provided room service all the way through the night in the city center. We were never going to do that. Nobody wants room service here. And and that was a, at one stage, that was a delimited to being a five-star hotel. Well, that was wrong. You can still be a five-star hotel without doing room service, for example. Um, and and it was really rewarding when we stepped the food up from two rosettes to three rosettes. We went from four-star to five-star. And I think more recently is that we, 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 we took the bold decision to incorporate everything that we have into one resort whereas before we used to trade different entities although they were a couple of hundred yards apart potentially but but we've we've literally probably covid has allowed us to do this um and and be bold in that in our approach and that we've this year we rebranded um to the torrent resort we have sort of a one-way system coming into the resort uh we used to have the the inn Inn, the torridan hotel and now it's just the torridan and we sell the rooms as a, a different sort of name up at the stables we have self-catering and, and people feel very much now they're on one place and they have different options whereas i think before people possibly thought we were different ownership even um and that's really helped us uh to develop what we want to do in the feel of a place um and and for us you know we've I know you've had some some inspirational people on your on your podcast, people like Ollie Hudson about you know the kitchen gardening. I was really interested by what he said about almost uh, uh, gardening by spreadsheet, which was uh, uh, I found I found quite appealing myself, um, but very complex in itself. But um, to 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 develop that whole field to fork has been great. So we've developed the farm side, we've developed the kitchen the kitchen garden side. Adding uh, this this winter, we're putting in a second polytunnel. Because it allows us, back to the sort of first question you asked, if the less um, uh, dependent we are on our remoteness, then the better we become at what we do. So if we're slightly more self-sufficient in the food that we produce, we're less reliant on product from coming in from somewhere else. And and those decisions have been fundamental in how we've got to where we are today. But but very much on on an organic basis, uh, developing our culture and what we're trying to do and, and being authentic. Because for Ray's and I, we're here every day. The staff see us every day. We, I have an operations director, Ross, been with us now uh, over sort of six years. And it, it, he runs the operation. But in terms of the culture, we're very much at the front of how it should run um, in terms of the values we want people to understand. And I think one of the biggest decisions we made was to be tougher on those values I think in the old days we would uh, compromise on our values to sometimes keep or retain members of the staff who were problems. Now we sort of feel much more confident. We're not beholden to anybody, and we can be a little bit more direct uh, with the people we do and don't want. And we're very clear about the values that we hold as a business, and and that has filter to everybody and, and makes them everybody else feel a lot more confident in their jobs and the way they do them because they know we've got their back and we won't tolerate effectively poor performance or or whatever it may be. And, and that's been fundamental in attracting staff and the way we do things. I mean, back in the day, David and Joni, they had 25 staff. Now we have 55. It's a very different operation. Um, and, and that, um, I think, yeah. That, that's been key to our success
0: yeah when you when you mentioned those values interesting i think as as, as you say with time with confidence uh, probably with a bit bit sort of less cash pressure i suppose the, these values and, and just learning i suppose these values become more dominant any any specific examples i suppose of, of values that you very much stand by now but historically caused you some challenges
1: ownership i think um having the confidence to delegate and give people ownership of their job roles and what they wanted to do. So uh, you, I've often seen back in the day, people being a lot more reluctant to, to, to delegating responsibility for, for what they do. Uh, and sometimes owner um, owner hoteliers can be very dominating um, and uh, not letting go of the reins. And the best decision we made uh, five or six years ago, I actually went to, I won a, a scholarship with the Master In Inholders uh, and I actually got to go to Cranfield uh, on a scholarship, which was a, a leadership and a director's management course. Basically, you did three weeks every three months. Uh, you did one week every three months over a 12-month period. Uh, and I suppose that was the eye-opening moment for me that gave me the reassurance to what we could do and what we should be doing. Uh, and Rahiz and I went from being... Um, very much in the business to working on the business Uh, and and that was fundamental in the way that we 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 we, the success that came to us both in terms of growing our occupancy and, and, and what we do as a product but also financially that gave us the reassurance to um live by our core values so as you rightly say the more financially secure you are and 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 the more stable the business is then you are able to delegate more um and you give people responsibilities and actually if you define those roles quite clearly uh, and give people the responsibility then they sink or swim and clearly you're not wanting them to sink so the more the better you can make them swim and and develop in that role and, and and run with it then the better it is for you. And and we've were we we've become better at picking the right people with the right skill set to come in, which allows us to focus much more on the business than in the business. Um, so, you know, I no longer sit serve tea and coffees more than capable to do it. And if I'm called upon, I'll go out and do it, not a problem. But in terms of the success of the business, it's far better that I sit in here analysing and crunching the numbers and working out what we're going to do next with our sales and marketing and where our next customer is going to be and what the next development or, uh, which bit of infrastructure we need to amend or change or add to than serving tea and coffee. And I think that change was fundamental in how we did things. Um, and more recently, I suppose, sustainability, sustainability in, in a different, in a few different ways. Sustainability for me is not just the green element, but it's also about the, Stability of the business, the more financially secure it is and the growth is steady uh, and the and, and, and the quality and consistency of the team is stable. Then again, you become sustainable in what you want to do and you can have the uh, courage and confidence to make bolder decisions. Um, and that also on the flip side is you then... Um, We've made much more development on our, our environmental issues with developing a biomass system and boreholes and reducing our plastic, which a lot of people are doing. Some are just paying lip service and some are really believing in going, you know, going for it full hog. And, and I think, again, it comes back to a USP, which is our destination. And I think we have a duty certainly here in Torridon to live up to a more sustainable practice. Uh, and I think our customers are now thinking that. I mean, in this last 12 months, you know, we've heard, since COVID, we've heard about how people want uh, ethical businesses. They want to go, they're going to visit, go back to places that they have confidence are doing the right thing. Uh, businesses that are sustainable, businesses that offer a mindful approach to, to a vacation, a, a business that offers the great outdoors and, and to experience wide open spaces. We we thankfully tick all those boxes, but but again, it's part of our, our culture here, uh, and I think it's very it becomes much more real when you live and breathe it than just talk about it. Um, and the difficulty of that is really is translating it from paper to reality with the team, um, and that's our challenge as, as we continue to do it. But we have so many things in our favour that allows us to develop it. Uh, not least the location, but that 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 I suppose cry out and speak speak volumes of what what we do.
0: Yeah, amazing. You touched on about seven different issues then, Dan, that I want to explore in a few issues. So, um, but before we do, so we're going to come back to to sustainability and a couple of th- other things you mentioned. But but you said there about that master inholder scholarship that was quite interesting. Presumably that just gave you sort of a, a faster. It, you, you probably would have learned. I'm guessing a lot of the things you learned, but I, I presume it meant that you learned it. Much faster, and, and all too often there's no point reinventing the wheel. So, I guess you would recommend that, would you, for people looking, at, you know, always looking for a bit of a nugget of business advice? I suppose, given the opportunity, do go and work in some other venues because that's very easy often for teams to do and to dart around and pick up best practice. But as business owners, that can be quite a challenge to dive into somebody else's business and see it. I guess
1: definitely. I mean, as a business leader or owner, the 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 real eye opening moments come when you actually look at businesses that are in my case non-hospitality and what they do as best practice and, and i think that was the um the great thing about the course at cranfield so um derek bulls was one of the founders of the in holders and the scholarship was set up in his honor so there have been three of us that have done the course over the, over the last few years um and, and it's really intensive there's a lot of homework to do but it's all about working on your business so it's very very productive um but you take you take what you do and you do your homework and you take it every three months the stuff to work on you take it back for the week at Cranfield and it gets dissected by a room full of 20 people and you're critically appraised uh mostly in a, in a constructive way uh, about your business uh, and I the, the feedback that you receive from your peers who are not hospitality, I was thinking I was the only hotelier there. Um, we have airline industry. We had food, food suppliers, uh, quite a lot of uh, public bodies, DVLA, for example, um, um, uh, Anglican Water. There are, you know, real um, a variety of businesses on site, but we were all dealing with similar challenges. Mine was about... Uh, ownership and um and looking at at how we develop the business and, and 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 ultimately how i delegate more responsibility others was about how they put themselves forward as leaders we all had different challenges and actually to share those ideas in that forum was was unbelievably uh, rewarding um so much so that we came back i came back and fundamentally changed what we were doing here and, you know and there's there's this great uh there's a number of different um uh, analogies and 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 uh theories out there but the whole going from leading to manage or from managing the, the business to leading the businesses takes a fundamental uh change in the way you think and that happened for me on this course uh, and that has 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 you know i have a non-exec that works for me here or with me, and, 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 and even the, my wife and, and the different leaders we have in our business have noticed the change in the way we do things, which has been far more constructive and rewarding for everybody involved. I've gone on to lead more. My managers are managing and delegating responsibility more. And the, the, the proof in the pudding has been either the growth in revenues or occupancy or whatever we've done. Um, and and I, I couldn't speak highly enough. If anyone ever gets the opportunity to learn and develop out with their business and take feedback from others, it's unbelievably rewarding.
0: Mm, that sounds uh, sounds incredible. Um, talking of all the things, the impacts you've had, and you said there, you know, you got you got growth in revenue or, or impacts on your team and all sorts of stuff. You've also won numerous awards, too too many to list. But any that you're
1: particularly proud of. Um, I, I suppose two, uh, we, we, we were asked this recently on a uh, Facebook live thing that we did. Um, my wife and I would joint on that. And, and we, we both were very similar in our thoughts. One was, we won an independent hotel a year, Katie, which for us was the sort of, uh, I suppose goal that we, we'd aspired to for a long time in terms of recognition um, with our peers. And, 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 and it, it, for us, it was the sort of Oscar of what we do. Uh, and that was really rewarding to do that after a number of years of developing the business. And I guess the other one was, um, and my wife pointed this out, and she's entirely right. We 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 started um, an apprenticeship program. My wife did. She was she actually is chair of the Apprentice and Hospitality Scotland at the moment. And we we've been really proactive in developing apprenticeships and hospitality uh, with a number of other partners, hoteliers uh, throughout Scotland. And our first one was a a girl who came to us and was in housekeeping. And we wanted to start the scheme. And Rosie um, joined us uh, with uh, trepidation on the scheme because she wasn't sure she wanted to do hospitality. Yet for us, she had one of those smiles that my colleagues would pay millions of dollars for. Because when she walks into a room, she lights up the room and customers just feel fantastic when they arrive and they see her. She's just great at that part of the job. And we saw that potential. And after two years, she actually won uh, Scotland's apprentice of the year. And I think that was probably our most rewarding for the team, um, to to take someone that we found and and develop them and give them an opportunity and then see them to win, you know, of all the apprenticeships in Scotland from motor industry to to, to hospitality, you know, she won and and that was, was, yeah, we were very proud of that. Mm, That's amazing. Why did she win? You'd have to meet her, Mark. She's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's still here, you know, she's oh, gone, wow. awesome. uh, we, she, we stayed on for a third year and did a supervisory role. Uh, so an additional year on an apprenticeship, we've then made her front of house manager. Um, I think she might've moved on this year, but I think with COVID, everyone's sitting back and waiting a little bit to see what happens for next year. Um, but she, she, she's just done a, a marvelous job and she's, one of the key leaders within our team, which in the space of four years from an apprenticeship to now just shows you how far she's come. And, and, um, yeah, she's got a million dollar smile. Uh, and, and in hospitality, that personality and that smile is, is, is invaluable and you can't buy it. You can't treat, you can't even teach it. Um, which I've got to be honest, people even know she's smiling when she's got a mask on. So, uh, <laughs> that's how good it is. So, so um, um She's, an, just, an uh, she's just she's just a hospitality individual that just oozes looking after people. She cares about their experience. She wants to do the best by them. Um, and yeah, I, I'm pretty sure when she decides to move on, many of my colleagues will buy you know buy my hand off to take her.
0: Mm. Amazing. I do think it's the most rewarding thing about our industry is seeing people, uh, you know, develop and fulfil their potential. It's amazing. Um, I do also think you're going to get some brownie points for saying that Ro Hazel's entirely right. Just that as a clip might be played back to you. Um, I'm sure she agrees with you wholeheartedly. Well done.
1: Yeah, well
0: done. You're entirely right. Always. Uh, Well done for getting that in. Um, So again, you you mentioned this in in an answer just now, but you've got this uh, this beautiful kitchen garden, and, and I was interested to know a little bit, I suppose, around the motivation for that in in the fact that yeah how much of it is is because you almost need to become more self-sufficient because of your the remote remote remoteness sorry of your location or, or how much of it is because you sort of see you know that's that's the trend i suppose that's what the consumer demand is to say that they you know they want to go somewhere to pig. as we know have demonstrated this well uh, yeah where, where does the motivation come from for it or is it is it nuanced well
1: Back in the day, I mean, this the, 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 it's a Victorian kitchen garden. The house was built in 1887, and it would have provided the house with its sustainable uh, subsistence living, I guess, growing what it could. Um, and when my in-laws arrived back in 91, 92, it was a wasteland. Um, and my father-in-law is a massive gardener, and he basically restored the garden to, to, to its former glory. Um, And over the years, we've just developed on that. And I guess every chef that comes here, um, head chef, tends to come with a greater passion for that type of um, um, offering that we have in in, in the sense that many of the junior chefs, I mean, I still remember the day now, uh, five, six years ago, we had a junior chef that came in uh, who, who, had, who had no idea that the, sh- that the carrots didn't come chopped couldn't understand the whole because every carrot he'd ever worked with was a chopped carrot uh yeah. and I, I suppose we have a duty to educate everybody in where the produce comes from um so for us the garden's been in, in existence since probably 94 95 so way before the trend um i guess what we've done is over the years we've had it as a show garden in many ways because people enjoy the space we've produced produce from fruits and herbs to to vegetables um and and salads that have been used by the by the kitchens um and and now i guess it, it really is on point that actually we now recognize it as a core part of what we do because of uh, there is a cost saving in terms of growing your own thing here. It's more sustainable in terms of less mileage, in terms of getting the produce here, um, and it's part of the story of why Torridon does what it does. So we've incorporated it more in what we do, less less about the fad. does I that mean the pig, for example. It's everything they do. It's the it's one of the core 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 reasons they exist, um, and it, it, I suppose it's similar in that sense in that. Many of us have have gardens and, and um, one of the ones I think is most beautiful is at Gravetie, um in East Sussex and, and we all have showcased gardens, but for us it's very much a working one. We have you know, we have Highland cattle that produce the manure that go into the garden. We have pigs that we rear throughout the year. And and this is all about the story of 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 Field to Fork and and, and, and how we how we can reduce mileage of food coming to us, how we can reduce our dependence on other suppliers supplying for us uh, and how actually it fits with with the culture and what we're trying to do. And, and you know, there's no one person looks after the pigs, the team taking it in turn to feed the pigs. Um, and that's the same with the cows. The cows are you know fed by a multiple number of people because people want to be involved. It's part of the experience of working here. Um, we've just started, for example, the, the chefs, now go and work um, in the garden in the morning and they'll pick some of the produce in the morning or they might go feed the pigs and then they come to the kitchen, which um, it, again, it, it, it's just a, a better way to start the day than straight on to, to whatever it is you got to do in the kitchen. And it makes them understand that actually someone is laboring in the garden to produce the food to put onto the plates that they love doing and the dishes they like making. Uh, and it, I suppose it's the whole story, it joins the dots um so it's fundamental for us in what we do it's almost so just... that we are putting another polytunnel in this winter yeah so we're doubling um doubling our ability to to grow what we can grow um people would probably think the rain is the issue here it's not it's wind uh rain we can get around because we're such the soil here is so well drained because there's a lot of a lot of rock in Torridon. um it's pretty well drained but it's the wind that can damage things so often uh, even on the fruit trees and things like that the blossom gets blown off in may by a wind or, or or even the polytunnel can get damaged by the wind so it's the winds that are, that are that are that are the problem more so than the rain which on the west coast of scotland there's a reason we are very green it does rain quite a bit
0: Mm, yeah, I can imagine. That must be one of the benefits of having your team. I was going to use the word captive, but that's the, that's the wrong yeah, word. But is. Yeah, the fact that they can't sort of nip into town and go to the cinema must be great. That, that I presume that really helps them get up in the morning and uh, yeah, go, go and feed the cattle and go and feed the pigs. And that's what makes it this, uh, yeah, all-consuming, I suppose. So let's touch on that a little bit because that that has has been historically a key challenge. You mentioned you've even built some some dwellings for them. So uh, has it become... You know, I'd imagine you having, especially having watched the, the the BBC show. I'd I'd imagine people queuing up around the block to now come and uh, and spend a couple of seasons with you and live with you. Is it is it still a challenge? Are you still having to go out and advertise, or uh, have you resolved that? And just because of, I suppose, you know, how much initiative you've you've sort of used in making it a desirable location. Yeah, I
1: don't think you'll ever resolve it. It's always going to be a challenge because of the location. That, but to be fair, I, it wouldn't matter which hotelier I speak to to. Um, you know i'm i'm current chair about the handover of pride of britain hotels and I, we speak about employment and, and recruitment all the time with some of my colleagues and and you you, you it's always the same doesn't matter whether you're in central london uh down in uh um down on the southwest or, or in the highlands it's a challenge you know we we've You've spoken about it on your podcast, you know, chefs, you could ever find a chef and then nobody young wants to be a chef. Now, probably gonna be more chefs on the market than there's ever been, but it will always be a challenge, but each place I think will find its own unique challenges. So in my location, we have to offer a a decent pay with subsidized living. And because some of them are in shared accommodation, twin rooms, uh, our managers, we spent half a million pounds on management flats because we recognize that if you strategically can keep people for a minimum two seasons, you get consistency in what you're trying to do. If everybody changes over in a seasonal business each year, then it puts a lot of pressure on the leadership to each year to instill the culture and the systems for the team to run. So you, we would then typically find, we'd start February, March. It was only by about April, maybe end of May, that everybody was on the program and understood what we were doing. But in the meantime, my, my heads of department and, and management you know, were exhausted because they'd had to do everything again from scratch. If you can keep people two, maybe three years, then that consistency flows through and it's much easier to, 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 to then run the business and maintain consistent levels. So, we recognise that, and we built management accommodation that meant they had their own single ensuite with kitchen uh, units, uh, like a tied cottage. I would call it up here, and we have a series in a row. Uh, and then we have a number of different flats around the property, and they're all. It's about focusing on heads of department and making sure they're happy, because if they're happy, they can look after their team. If they look after the team, then their team are happy. Um, and I think we've changed our recruitment focus from give us a job, to this is the lifestyle. So if you're coming to Toronto, it's very much about giving a flavor of what you can expect. It's not just a job. You know, it, it, a lot of people here, you know, I've been doing this 20-odd 20, well, 20 odd years, but the family have been here 30 years, and, and, and everything's on the line for what we do every day. You know, you wear your heart on your sleeve, and you, you put everything into it. And you want people to come who at least appreciate that, and want to ju- come on that journey with you uh, and care about what they do. And I think we've changed our recruitment process very, very much to more focusing on those values. And people talk about hiring for attitude, not for skill. It's very true. It, it is so true. Someone the other day was telling me, oh, he'd looked at somebody's CV and their A-levels were X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I've never looked at the CV and seen any A-levels. It, it's not about that. Uh, for us, we, we have to do all our interviews by Skype nobody comes here you have to do it you know visually by scout which is a challenge um, and I think we it's about learning more and being better prepared to recruit the right people so that they're gonna understand and appreciate the culture more and then we'll stay longer you then get the consistency and stability and then you can do what you want with the business so it's it's a slow burn it's not a there's no quick fix. Uh, and each year we would find <clears throat> this year we've got a problem in housekeeping. Next year's a problem in the restaurant. A year after that we can't find chefs. There's no there's no one hard and fast rule. Uh and and each year it will change. I mean, as of first of January next year, we, we we've all got a problem with Europeans. So uh the dreaded Brexit's gonna arrive and and I think we got till June. Certainly a number of my team. I mean I'm probably 75% European, so a high Dominance of international staff and and that will be my new challenge for 2021 uh which wasn't for 2020 so each year is is is, is it changed that the, the the marketplace changes but what we do as a product is just try and prepare ourselves better to 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 attract the talent that we need and it, it's a game we're all playing that game but some clearly do it better than others and and that's in this learning about best practice and who does it right.
0: Mm, yeah. I'm hoping that um, Brexit's going to be a walk in the park compared to COVID and that this has been a little bit of a kind of like, well, you thought you had problems, but uh, you, yeah. you you really don't now by comparison. I don't know. I'm, I've, I'm just touched, for... I've
1: just touched a lot of wood and crossed my fingers. So uh, yeah, exactly. you're right.
0: Yeah, well, we shall see. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people recognize that staffing's a challenge and have a bit of a whinge about it. I remember chatting to um, Gareth Banner at the NED, actually, and, and I think it's just looking at the problem and going, right, you know, what, what solution can we come up with? And I remember they built a recruitment office. I can't remember which country it was in it might have been portugal or somewhere like that but they actually went over there you know and built recruitment offices and then and then you know interviewed and trained in the country and yeah. then helped them move over and it, it was just looking at the problem and going okay you know what 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 can we actually do proactively to solve this and it's the same with you guys you know you haven't just given them a, a, a caravan or you know converted a container you've actually built you know beautiful accommodation the trouble
1: with that mark is you used to be able to do that 15 years ago now they won't yeah. stand for it no so well and
0: some people are still you know i i know certainly where i am you know I've got some local farmers who are who are still trying to, um, yeah, appeal. I guess to the to the European sort of community to come over and help them farm, and yeah. they're the same thing, really. You know that they're, they're now converting barns and having to change it, but but you've done it. I've got to ask as, as a matter of interest. I suppose this crosses over with the other aspects of the business and and the things that have evolved. Do you get any issues with with planning when you decide you want to build units for your team and then some of the other gits? Yeah, are they fairly supportive of you? Or?
1: They're very supportive. I mean, we're we're a fifty-eight acre site, so. Yeah, and neighbors are few and far between. So, it, 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 as long as we are, you know, again, it comes back to our culture and values. We, we try and do everything. When we put something in, it's, it's, it's with a view to sustainability. Is it environmentally friendly? Is it energy efficient? Does it blend in with the landscape? You know, even, even if we, what we were looking to do recently is because we do the, the outdoor activities, we need a boat shed on the shore. At the moment, everything sits on trailers, but actually, we're going to make a permanent thing. So, how can we create a boat shed on the shore that blends in with the landscape? It's got a grass roof, provides water, blah blah blah. You know, we've always we're always thinking about that, and I think therefore, when we go to planning and say, "Can we do this?" they're much more sympathetic because we've already covered many of the angles that that maybe they would be concerned about. Um, and if if ultimately, if I'm building housing in this location where there is a massive shortage of housing, then you haven't got to be too uh, clever to understand that it's going to happen. Um, and if I'm paying it out of my own pocket, then even better. Um, okay. I mean, some, you know, they they understand if I want to grow the business and if there's, not, if there's no rental property in Torridon or, or the surrounding area and, and if houses do come on the market, they will go to second homers and are well bid way beyond anybody locally could ever afford. So, you know we suffer that rural britain problem where young people don't stay around because they can't afford to stay around and they have to go somewhere else and often the jobs and the housing go together so that's a real issue that we i've been tackling here for 20 years um and nobody has found a solution and i don't think they will find a solution as such but but i've had to take the matter into my own hands and develop it so therefore planning are much more sympathetic yeah
0: Mm, yeah, that's good. Um, you mentioned this here with the boathouse. That was something I wanted to touch on. All, all too uh, often, hotels looking, I suppose, at elongating the season or wanting to be a destination, uh, end up going down the spa route. Was it? Was it a conscious decision? Because you, you know, you offer some amazing outdoor activities: mountain biking, hiking, archery, guided walks gorge scrambling co-steering all sorts of stuff yeah. I, that really appeals to me I'd, I'd much rather get out into the environment than, than necessarily uh, you know sit inside and, and have a massage was that a conscious decision to to sort of to, to add that to the business instead of a spa i guess
1: yes we <laughs> on, yes. On. <laughs> back in the back in the day we we had a sort of a what i would call an older gentleman that worked here roger and it was a question of uh, a concierge come you type of character you know he'd wear a bit of tweed he'd take people out a little bit of fishing he'd, he'd take them on a few guided walks uh, and it was very much facilitating where you what you could do and how you could do things in the area uh, and we reckon and then he decided to leave and we applied for what was eventually a, a, a canoeist i suppose as an activity manager uh, and we had a gentleman arrive called chris uh, who was really inspirational in terms of what he thought he could do and what we should be doing. And he came from a – he was a, a ex-Marine, very much involved in the outdoor activities. And um, he said, what you want to do is this. And we thought, do you know what, that sounds really appealing to us. Is it appealing to our market um, and our customers? Um, and at the time, I think we were thinking about that. We were thinking about spas and clearly – Spars continue to be flavour uh, of, of the time in terms of what they're doing. But we we thought, actually, again, back onto uh, culture and core value, what would fit us better? And I think the outdoors, again, looking at the landscape, our location, what would people expect when they came here? We thought the outdoors would be better. And, and actually, we haven't looked back. That's been a great thing for us, a real USP. I think we're still one of the only Hotels in the UK that, that does have its own outdoor activity um, business. Um, many others I suppose use outsource businesses. but we employ uh, two, two guides um, and then outsource locally a a lot of, sort of freelance guides within the, in the region because of the nature of, of where we are and people doing activities in this in this part of the world. So and I think the other the, the, the deterrence to a spa were one. The the thought of trying to employ more specialist skill set and get them to like Torridon and live here. So, spa therapists. Uh, And secondly, we were really conscious that some people were doing spas to a very high level. And if you were going to go into the market to do a spa, at the aspiration of quality that we were trying to grow the business, we needed to spend a lot of money on a spa to compete. We didn't want them going you know, from South Lodge or from Glen Eagles and coming to us and finding it was just a sauna and a, and a jacuzzi. Um, and it, we, we thought, where could we compete and what could we do? And, you know, you were looking at effectively millions on a spa and we would never have received a return. Um, and we've managed, you know, and I, a lot of people build, build spas in locations like mine because you do want to extend the season you know, if you can bring them indoors in February, March and October, November, then you can extend the season because you're offering them indoor facilities, arguably, um, and, and that works. But with us, it hasn't, It hasn't. We, we've extended our season with our outdoor activities. Again, the only thing that stops us doing anything here is uh, wind. You can't sort of see kayak and canoe with the wind and some of the other activities are a bit dangerous. But if it's raining, no problem, you just you just need to ride. There's no such thing as they say with bad weather. You just need to ride. The, wear the right kit. Um, and that has worked for us. Um, and we still we still continue to be probably one of the only ones that do it. And, and, uh, and therefore, people come here for that reason. And we've probably grown back in the day. 10% of our customers were doing activities with us. But we found about 40% of our customers were doing outdoor activities. But they came with their own mountain bike or they went on their own hike. Um, and now you know we've probably grown that up to more like 25 percent come and do stuff with us um, and nearer 60 percent do activities uh, uh, as a whole but many of them again continue to bring their own mountain bikes road cycling is quite popular around here now mountain biking has really grown we've had um, things like the torrid and loop uh, with uh, danny mccaskill has really really highlighted so you get a real influx of people that want to come do that type of thing and then we have a number of Monroe's on site so again people that like their mountain uh, guiding and, and climbing they all come to do that and sea kayaking on the northwest coast again is 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 a real um uh, sought after experience um so for us it's just providing the infrastructure for people to to get access to that which has really worked for us so yeah very much a conscious yes. decision it i love it sounds, so sounds
0: my, yeah my idea of heaven is is that outdoor activity center is that only open to your customers or is that open, no, to, no, it's to, it's up- open
1: to everybody um no. so we were a year ago we were doing sort of a complimentary program where everybody could sign up if they were staying as a resident you could sign up to it and then we would or or you could sign up to one of the program one of the uh, activities and then if you wanted more you would pay for it and then non-residents would pay as well this year because you can't put multiple people onto different activities. So we've had to do bespoke stuff, which has actually worked very well. Um, and people have been really, uh, um, uh, encouraged and, and really enjoyed the one-on-one or what, the one-on-one, but two-on-one or four-on-one as a family with a sort of exclusive guide. Uh, and they've got much more out of the sessions, which has been great for us. So, um, just another way around it, but yeah, we'll continue to, we'll see what we do next year with the environment that we, that we uh, way we can operate. But, um, hmm. It it works. I mean, clearly having a spa this year has not been very good. So,
0: yeah, having are not great. Uh, not a lot is uh, is particularly good. Which no, yeah, right. sort of conscious of time. Uh, let, let's just touch on that. Um, a couple a couple of last things to talk about. So yeah, but business and COVID. I suppose. Um, who, who are your? Target market? Are you open all year? And has that target market had to shift? I'm thinking that you know the, the, the Americans love coming over to uh, Scottish country houses, yeah. but have you had to change that market off the back of COVID?
1: Definitely. Um, in, in any one year, we're probably 80 British, 20 US business, um, um, and or certainly majority of my international business is US. That's moved in recent times to more like 75, 25. And then clearly March came uh, and all my international business vanished. Um, and everyone started talking about staycation and UK business. And it, it was apparent that there was going to be a marketplace there and, and people wouldn't be able to get abroad. So we'd have to holiday at home. And, and uh, as is well documented, quite a few um, UK rural coastal locations have benefited from a very strong summer. Uh, once we're allowed to open, although in Scotland, we've had a few more different hurdles to, to incorporate because things like not being able to serve alcohol indoors has been a challenge in October and, you know, but each, each one of them we've overcome. But I think staycation will be at least another 12 months easily. Um, we'll be I, certainly here in Torridon. I don't think we'll see many international tourists before well into the second half of next year. Yeah. Um, and therefore, our marketing has changed. Yeah, we're very much focused on the UK market, looking at our consortiums that, that we work with and, and who they focus on. And, and we've we have had to change it and shift what we do. Um, but pleasing has been that we found people to come. Um, and I guess that will change as travel opens up. People will want, to, you know, there's there's no doubt people in, in the UK will want to see the sunshine and will go to sunnier climates when the opportunity arises um, uh, and then um, I guess tourism will, will, will revert back to, to some form of um, levels that we saw before. When, who knows, but I mean, 21, 22, 23 people are talking very different timescales, but clearly it, it all depends on the next six months and how, how we go. Um, I think with the, the TV program, which fortunately for us came out in July, was great timing. So we until last week, we were probably nearly 85% full for October, uh, for November and December, which was wow. unheard of
0: yeah, um,
1: at a really strong rate. People were – the demand was there. And then, of course, England closed and uh, half our book wiped out. So, And we also have Glasgow and Edinburgh in lockdown, um, effectively, at Tier 3. They're not allowed to move out of the area. So we have that slightly strange situation that we are open, I can open till ten thirty. I can now serve alcohol indoors, so there's a tier one Scottish property, but nobody can actually get to me. Mm. <laughs> so, and as, yeah. as you're aware, my remote location means there's not much of a local trade. So uh, yeah, it's yeah, you know, it's paradoxical in many ways. But clearly, I'm sympathetic because many of my colleagues aren't even open. So. <laughs> What, what do you do? Well, as, long as, you know, as
0: long as you've got the support, because that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? We, some of us were put into a situation where, uh, you know, I, I've had a few people asking me for marketing cash recently. And I've said, look, I've got the national government trying to convince people that hospitality is is, is basically spreading COVID. You know, they've got, a, they've got a much bigger budget than I have. And they come on the telly every few hours and tell you not to go to hospitality businesses. I don't see any point in doing any advertising if they're trying to talk people out coming. Amazingly, the demand has actually still been strong. But uh, yeah, you, you, you can't take them on basically can you so we're, we're often put into a position where yeah we can trade therefore there's no support but there's no demand have you got the financial support if you yeah i suppose you have now because furlough's been made across all, all available, the available not it all
1: the way to march yeah. so um
0: that's helpful presumably
1: it's very helpful so we i mean for example we've we've made the decision here to continue although i've dropped from 85 to 40 percent we we made the decision as a seasonal property, we would have probably reduced our, uh, our seasonal uh, employees. Um, but because we were going to be busy for November, December, we made the commitment to keep people on and then bang out with my control, England closed. So overnight, I'm sort of 15 to 20 people <laughs> surplus employees here uh, because I haven't got the demand anymore. So yes, furlough is, is very supportive. I think it, it's magnificent. Uh, I can't, I can't personally complain about the support that's come my way in terms of trying to help businesses um stay stay in business and be able to come out the other side. There's a lot of conversation obviously now about winter cash flow, seasonal rural properties. Furlough is a massive help uh, and will get us through to the other side. I, I can't help but feel we're kicking can the can down the road. Um and I think there are some businesses that were struggling before we had COVID. And I can't believe that some of these businesses will not be struggling when COVID finishes. Um, and I, I think the other dilemma is we're all very fearful of what it's going to cost us on the other side. Um, and, but the focus at the moment, Mark, is to get to the other side, isn't it? So uh, that's, we're still all very much in survival need the business to be operating, need to capitalize when the demand does come back in terms of customers, whether they're domestic or, or or international. So each week, I have conversations with people and each week we are dealing with new circumstances. And that is very challenging as a business owner because mm-hmm. I can't tell you what is happening in two weeks. We, I've got a full book in December, but that very much depends on whether England opens on the 3rd. On the mm-hmm. If it doesn't... Do I'll probably lose half the book again
0: what's your uh, what's your hunch probably not yeah. or I think
1: <laughs> I think it will but I think you'll you'll have a very similar Scottish tier system and I yeah. think therefore you'll have a restriction in movement of people and I think some will be able to get here and move around and some won't so you know, I, we've, we've changed out, you know, for this, we did a deal this weekend where we focus on Aberdeen and Perth because they're in the same level as we are and therefore maybe customers from there want to come out and see us. So that's what we've tried to do. But we've also turned people away from Edinburgh and Glasgow who still think they can travel. So I don't want to be policing it, but we have a duty of care to make sure people are applying the tiers. And, and mm. I think it will happen in England. I think you have to open it up somehow, but I think you'll have, you know, you'll have level fours that won't be able to move out with their area. It seems the only way forward. They seem intent on us all having a, a Christmas, mm. um, which requires socialising a movement of people, which is what they don't want. So I'm, I'm pretty glad I'm not the one making those decisions, I have to be honest. It's it's um,
0: uh, super complicated, isn't it? I look at my yeah. restaurants, you know, we'd normally be, be shot solid. Yeah, we're, we're, like you, incredibly Seasonal, although not as remote a location, but you know, being yeah. on the beachfront, and uh, sure. yeah, n- November, Jan, Feb, you know, heavily loss-making months. But, but we actually only sort of stay open at all, really, to trade through December, where we get a little bit of a, a bounce back. But this year, yeah, no, no bookings. We'd normally be full of Christmas parties. You know, we're we're debating: do we put the investment of the time and the cash and the energy into all the Christmas decorations across the group that we normally would, or if we're only going to open for ten days, you know, is is, is there any point? It's uh, yeah, and then suppliers who so are saying, look, you know, normally we we just <laughs> thousands of uh, of christmas meals would be going out and as it stands at the moment you know we've got hardly any bookings at all because we don't know even if you can book is it going to be same household only yeah, it's very to different a to rules of at Sin, the
1: moment, so. not for sure. Oh, it's just uh the, um, the yeah it's, it's... of how many turkeys you're going to provide i don't know but, no. but yeah i mean we we're similar mark you know we would close typically in january uh, for two reasons one for refurbishment uh, and we do our annual you know go around the property and try and cover everything in paint that needs repairing and, and do what we need to do. And, and also the team get their annual holiday because business up here would be dead for January. But but this year we're considering opening a bit of it or maybe not. But again, it, it, it's on a weekly basis. As I say, I can't tell you what I'm going to do for the 3rd of December. At the moment, I'm probably 90% full for that week. that week.
0: Wow, that's I awesome! I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're so busy. And that's good, so it's really good for that to me because it must be you, you've very limited daylight hours. I'm presuming where you are.
1: Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what we're gonna do with them when they come. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, love I love it. I love the idea of
0: just sitting by the fire. Hey, I, I was uh, I went down to my restaurant earlier this morning just to check in with my manager, who I know is a big whiskey fan. And I was describing your bar, and uh, I need to send him over a photo actually of your of your whiskey bar. So he and I would probably be very happy sat by the log burner, uh, just yeah, g- gently sipping away on your on your very whiskeys you was it one others. for every day of the year
1: 365 yeah one for every day of the year that's so awesome it's, uh, are they all scottish or sorry are they all scottish uh, 98% are excellent the ones that aren't don't sell so very well did well, really? we a few yeah, americans like, yeah, with- coming for irish whiskey and you're like seriously yeah <laughs> You're in Scotland. <laughs> you should be drinking Scotch. You don't, uh, but no, uh, first, so we, yeah, have we have a few of those. We have an Indian and a Welsh one, a Pindran, and yeah. So there's a few because actually some of them are quite good. But no, most people yeah. want Scotch. So love, it. um, love it. It's cool. good.
0: Right. So last couple of things. Uh, firstly, I'm sort of interested, I suppose, because this wasn't your, uh, was clearly it was your destiny, but you didn't know it sort of 20 years ago. So I'm wondering if, if, if Dan now with all of that experience, all of that journey, all of that knowledge that you've got, if you went back 20 years and, and met sort of, you know, uh, younger Dan, what, what would you say to yourself? What advice would you give to yourself? Um, yeah. To, to help him
1: navigate the next 20 years. Trust your instincts, trust your gut. Um, and, and just be confident in what you want to do and, and follow the dream and, and um, choose the right people to be around you to be on that journey, because if you can surround yourself with the right people, then it just makes a, the journey much more enjoyable and be much easier because you have a common goal. Um, and I think Raheem and I are very much together, but, but the challenge has been ultimately because of our location is finding others to do it for long enough. And, and, um, you know, we've worked at that, and, and we've achieved some some, some success in, in doing that. And, and I think follow your convictions, and 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 um, don't worry about it. Don't fret the small stuff. Think about the bigger picture. And, and I guess that's what I've tried to do. But it's not always been easy to do. But if I'd known that twenty odd years ago, I think it would have made it would have made it easier for me. But but ugh, that's part of the process, Mark, isn't it? You have to exactly yeah learn on the job and. Learn, learn you as have to go. learn from your mistakes as well. That was something my father-in-law taught me, David. Is you know making mistakes is not a problem as long as you learn from them, um, and we say that to the team here as well. You know, it's it's not not the errors you make; it's how you learn from that, and and I think that's probably quite crucial.
0: Mm. I think it's the entrepreneurial way: is is make mistakes fast. You know, make them quickly, learn quickly, uh, move on, keep making them. It gets a bit dull if you're not giving the opportunity. And I'm the same. I give my yeah, team I mean, a pretty long but oh, you,
1: you never make a mistake now. I said, no, I do. You just don't find out about them. that's
0: different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you cover them up quickly. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then finally, so what? You know, I suppose plans for the future. Really, is this? You know, would you ever sell? Are you going to live there forever? Are you going to continue developing it? What, what What do you see the next ten years? Uh, all of
1: the above. uh We We've got plans at the moment. We're looking at developing, um, again, which is pretty on trend, but like all properties like ours, you you need to add more bedrooms, because if you add more bedrooms, more people can stay. And if more people can stay, then you can grow the occupancy of your food and beverage outlets. So we're looking to add uh, probably four or six units in the woods. Um, We're looking at little cottages and bothies type of thing um, that we can then... Yeah, as opposed to having 60 people on site, we can get to 75. Um, We'll have, you know, maybe 36, 37 rooms between the hotel, the stables, and self-catering. So these would be very much, I think, uh, their own unit, but very much focused on. They could be self-catering, small kitchenette type thing, but probably more people would want breakfast and dinner with us, Um, focusing on the outdoors. So provision of outdoor showers and mountain bikes as part of the job and that type of thing. So appealing to a certain probably 25 to 45 market um and, and develop that side of it and, and continue to grow the food and beverage that we do and, and, and raise the level. Um, and ultimately do I want to be here forever? No, Mark, I don't. Um, but maybe one of my children I've got I've I've got a 21 Angus is 21 Finley's 18 and, and Amelia's 15, and and who knows, it was 26 when I decided to come here. So they have a bit of time yet, but uh, one of them might want to take on the business, and that would be really rewarding. But there's no pressure; they're all are finding their own way and doing what they do. In fact, my son actually does our social media uh, for for a company, um, so he's already involved and has a real insight to what we do. Angus, but. Um, yeah, ultimately, you know, we probably would sell it one day because you, you can't do this forever. I don't want to be 70 and doing this, if that's your question, no. <laughs> um, but I yeah. I'd imagine the retirement the retirement age is now a little bit further down the road after 2020 for all of us. So um, yes, um, it's there and if somebody comes along, then like any business, it's for sale. But 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 we, we love what we do. We're enjoying the journey. Uh, we're in, enjoying giving back. Uh, you know, we do a lot more things now out with Torridon so that we, well, one was really to stay in touch with what goes on in the world. Otherwise, you could become quite closeted here and, uh, and cut off from what goes on. So we, we put ourselves out there a bit more and really enjoyed that and, and enjoying giving back to, to, to the industry and promoting it. So whether it's through the apprenticeships or, or through mastery and holders and that type of thing. So I'm really enjoying that side of it at the moment.
0: Mm, well you have a like, you know a, a reputation you know lots of people mentioned me catching up with you and having a, a chat with you uh, as somebody who's got an incredible amount of respect in the industry and like i say you know getting that respect and, and building what you've built in surrey is, is impressive enough but doing it out there in the middle of nowhere um, but it's because of your yeah focus on details and and, and solving uh, the problems i suppose so i love it so congratulations on what you've achieved i will definitely be up there i'm i'm, I'm only just in your sweet spot at, at 45 i better be quick. Um, and, <laughs> Uh, you are my, my dream sort of place. I would come out and hang out in some sort of lodge with the mountain bikes and the kids. I'm into, into road biking as much as mountain biking and outdoor sports. Oh, so I will be up there we'll at, look uh, good to, have you. to have one of those whiskeys. Uh, where should people go if they want to follow your adventures and keep track of your journey? They should obviously go and watch the BBC show because that was great. But uh, Yeah, yeah where so the BBC
1: shows there. Otherwise, website, uh, the um and uh, Twitter and Instagram is Dan um and uh yeah just follow us on social media and and uh you'll see all about us there lots of videos and types of things which people want to see so great amazing
0: all right well i will pop links up to all of that on the uh, on the podcast website as well um thank you dan it's been an utter pleasure really uh yeah excited to have had the chats and uh i wish you the best of luck you got a busy day ahead
1: uh i've got a board. I've, this morning my wife decided to organize fitness for us all So uh, we have a fitness trainer that comes in every week. So I'm actually standing here already drained before I start my podcast because I'm not really fit (laughs) at the moment. But uh, (laughs) six of us had to do circuit training this morning, uh, and South and I got I've got a board meeting with Probit. So uh, uh, I'm off to do that. But otherwise, we're closed on a Monday, Tuesday for this season, uh, just to give everybody a break, and we open tomorrow, Wednesday. So um, and I feel very fortunate to be able to open tomorrow. So we'll see what it brings.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, uh, yeah, best of luck navigating the winter, whatever whatever happens, and I'm sure we'll catch up again in the future. Thanks, Dan. Thanks,
1: Mark. Good talk to you. Cheers.
0: You made it. Thank you so much for getting to the end, and I really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. What a great example of what can be done in a remote location and how to think outside the box to deliver such quality in such an amazing place. A big congratulations to Dan and Rohays on what they have achieved, and a big thanks to Dan for being generous with his time and open with his conversation. I really enjoyed spending some quality time with Dan and wish him the very best of luck continuing to improve and develop the Torridon. I will definitely be making the effort to get up there and visit. Now, for the links to Dan and the Torridon's various social channels and the links to the BBC TV show we discussed, do head over to the Humans of Hospitality website, where you will find all the details in the show notes for episode 115. Or just type Dan into the search bar. And the website address is humansofhospitality.co.uk. And before you head off, could you please do me a very quick favour? Could you find your podcast player of choice and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It's a pretty quick process. Players like Apple Podcasts will even allow you to say a few words. And the more reviews and the more comments the show gets, the more people find the podcast and the easier it is for me to persuade other guests to take some time out of their day and come and chat to me. And the better the guests, the better the listen to you. So it really is a win-win. Right, I'm off until next week when we are chatting to the lovely Carly Trisgrove all about B Corpse and her cafe in the park and her new plans for a super ethical, sustainable restaurant community interest company called Op Op. One price, one plate. It's an awesome conversation and I hope you will tune in next Monday to take a listen. Cheers.